All right, so Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. That's where we'll begin. We'll begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for allowing us to be here today, God, to dig into your word. Father, I, I thank you for each one who is here. Lord, I pray the infirmities in their bodies, Lord, in their minds, those battles that we fight week by week, God, that you would continue to help us help ourselves, Father, as we change change more and more into your image. God, be with those who aren't able to be here this morning, Father, those who had to work. Lord, those who are sick, Father, we just ask that you would touch them where they are, that they would find time to get in your word, Lord, and meet with you, and that you would help them overcome whatever it is that's plaguing them in their lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so this morning, we're going to start off with what, especially all the terriblest and the sinners and the evil people of the world, which is what we're going to get to. No, it's not really about them. See, that's the awesome part. That's what people like to say. But this is the thing that people use against you when you when you use righteous judgment, um, which is what we're supposed to do. But as he begins, Jesus says this. We'll read the first two and then we'll get into it. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. All right. So that And that's as far as we're going to go in that. The rest of it is going to, we'll understand it a little bit more next week, but we need to understand what judging is and what judging isn't. Okay. And the, the problem is not that we judge, it's that we judge and we aren't worthy of judging another person. That's where the problem really arises. I've learned the older that I get and the more I get into this Christian thing, I have no right to judge anyone for anything. I'm a sinner. And sin is sin is sin. And that's the crazy thing is people think that pedophilia and all that stuff is like the worstest sin there is or murdering someone. Lying is a sin, guys, and a sin is a sin. We can talk about depths of hell and there's places reserved for people. Great, but you're all in hell. It doesn't matter. The degree of the sin doesn't matter. The place where you live for eternity is what matters. And Jesus is trying to say that. So this judgment both times is 29:19 in the Greek. And it means to pronounce judgment, to make a spur of the moment decision. That's what he's trying to say. And I know that we all do that because, you know, they say within the first the first 15 seconds that you meet a person, you kind of sum up who they are. Mm -hmm. It's not fair. And then it takes, if, if you have a negative idea of someone, it may take 20 more encounters before you have a positive, a positive view of who they are. That's sad because life is not a snapshot. Life is a movie. Thank God it is. Because if it were done in a snapshot, I should already have been in hell a long time ago. Like just condemned. There's no need for me to live my life in Christ anymore. Because if, if me being judged by another person once for the sin that I'm in sends me to hell, that I should have, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. Your judgment is not a judgment that is supposed to be one that is in the spur of the moment and you pronounce a judgment on another human being that especially before you search yourself and make sure that it's right. So let's look at John 3, 16 through 18. A lot of people quote John 3, 16, but they don't go any farther. There's a little bit more stuff that's said there. <clears throat> Do we, should we be able to discern and understand? Yes, but let's see what, yet again, let's see what Jesus has to say here. Talking to who? Talking to Nicodemus. Talking about the new birth. Talking about being born again. And he's like, how in the world can I enter my mother's womb a second time? And he's like, look, you just, you don't understand. Listen to what I have to say. So beginning in 16, we know this one by heart, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That literally means whoever. Had Hitler, I don't know what Hitler did in his last moments whenever he was killed in that bunker supposedly, but if Hitler decided to give his life to the Lord and that was God's will, that's what happened. 
It matters not what I think. And that's, that's where the bad part is. We pass judgments on people as if they're never going to be saved ever. Everybody in here who has a tattoo, everybody in here, the world sees that you're going to hell. I'm just being honest with you. And it's a sad, sad, that's sad. There's no way that a marking on your skin could send you to hell unless it's in Revelation. We haven't gotten there yet. I mean, the way that you cut your hair, the way that you wear, all that stuff is meaningless. God does not look on the outer appearance in 1 Samuel. What do we see? What does he say? Yeah, when you look at, when you look at this, he's just a ready youth. But God looks on the heart. He's looking at what's inside a person. When you judge a person, judge them with the right judgment. And that judgment is what's going on inside the person. Because Jesus told them the same bunch. People say, well, Jesus said not to judge. Jesus has done nothing but judge since he started the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus does nothing but judge the hypocrites and the Pharisees. He calls them whitewashed sepulchers full of dead man's bones. That doesn't sound like a judgment to you, but here's the difference is he is God in the flesh. He knows who's going to hell and who isn't. It actually says in the word that what? He knew who he was. When he's walking through there and he's seeing a person, he knew if that person was going to be saved or not. And if they weren't, and this sounds terrible to the world, but he didn't deal with them. There was no need for him to deal with those who were not going to receive him. So let's look at verse 17. What does he go on to say? He says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Thank God. I mean, that's like, that's the next part, but the last one. He who believes in him is not judged. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now that's believe is believeth, right? And that's that's 3100. It's an active belief. That's Greek. That's that's it. It's the Strong's number, like how it's defined in the Strong's. You can look it up. Correct. But every word in the Bible. And we have one of y'all. Yeah. 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 Because there's Hebrew and there's Greek, and both of them have a different number that's assigned to a word. But every word that's in this Bible is defined for you to understand, which is awesome. He says, he who believes in him, now that's an active belief, by the second. It's, it's a present tense verb, believeth. That means that I, it's active. It's, it's ongoing. It's not that I believed one time, gave my heart to Jesus, and he took my hand, and, and now I go and live my life the way I want to. That's not true belief. To truly believe means there's a change in the life that I live, and it changes to align with the teachings of a teacher. In that day, that's what believing meant. I believe that my brakes are going to stop me, so I put my foot on. And I know I say to y'all, you've never heard this, but I say this, I've said it for years. We believe more in our brakes than we believe in the Lord. The average person does, because every time I put my foot on them, I expect it to stop me. But every time I encounter something, I don't already know that God's going to overcome it. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Put on the brakes. Stop what you're doing and look at the Lord. Because he did it last time, he's going to do it again. He, he said he's not going to leave us, is he? He's never going to leave us or forsake us. But the last part of that, it says, He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's done. Like in those, there's such awesome, you look at 16 and you go, Thank you, Lord. You, you move on to the next one and it's, that's even great. But 18 spells out the, the opposite. There's always... You want to say a positive and a negative, however you want to. There's two sides to everything. There's no middle ground. There's zero middle ground. In the world, there's middle ground. But there is none in the kingdom of God. It either is or it isn't.
There's very little gray areas. So can a person change? Who's unredeemable? That, and that's the question that I have to ask myself when I look at a person. Who is not redeemable? The guy that has the throat tattoos and all his teeth have fallen out because he's done meth all his life? So you tell me that God can't save him? You tell me that God can't use him? Uh, Mike Small? Mike Small, the lawyer in town? I mean, the guy protects people who kill people, right? That's, that's his job. That's his job. That's where he falls in line. Can he be saved? Most certainly. Is he saved? I have no clue. See, that's the whole thing is like we look at people, we talk about what are lawyers are the worst people in the world. You know, let's go down the line. They're the worst. We were talking yesterday, car salesmen, used car salesmen, trailers, house sales, whatever. But all these people, it's the view that we see. And the problem that we have is it's just like I see a Pentecostal person, what I view in my mind, they're Pentecostal. So I think that I already know because of the way they're dressed or they act, well, this is what they believe. Most people have no idea why they believe or practice the religion they practice. That's the reality. If you ask them, why are you what you are, the best that they can tell you is because that's what we've always been. Well, Jesus Christ came here, he says, to abolish all of that, to do away with all of that. Stop worrying about man and man's religion. You better get in my word and understand what I say. And I say don't judge somebody because who has the final say? God does. Jesus Christ, it says one day he's going to come back and he's going to judge and it's going to be a righteous judgment, and that's the difference. Matthew 20, 12 through 6, if you would like to turn there. This is the other part that's so great. Why do we not judge? I have saw people, how many times do you think in your life, when we say, can a person change who is unredeemable, how many times do you think that you had the opportunity to be saved before you were truly saved? I, I know I had many, but I know one for sure that was in this little church that's now been converted into a children's ministry building. And it was six years before I got saved, and it was Terry Terrell during a concert. And for six years, I didn't hear from the Lord. Nothing. Right? Because, and that's why I say, and I could be totally wrong in this, but I say if I stray from this faith, that is it for me. The Lord gave me another opportunity. He gave me an opportunity that day, and I squandered it. And then six years later, in the same church, right, under preaching, I went home that night and got saved in a bathroom. That's, that's real. It wasn't man-made. It wasn't pro provoked by man. It wasn't on the laying on of hands or speaking in tongues or any foolishness. Nothing of the world. It was me and God and me looking at myself in the mirror for the first time seeing who I truly was as I understood who God truly was as holy. That's true conversion. Yeah. Speaking in tongues, all these other things, real, we've talked about it, that's not a sign of conversion. It's not something that says if you don't do this, if you don't align with this, if you don't, that's craziness. I don't have to have the sacraments and I don't have to go through all this stuff and, and go through all of these. Jesus did away with all of that. So he says, come unto me, all, not just some. So Matthew 20, 12 through 16, I'm glad that this is the God we serve. He's, we're talking about the laborers in the vineyard, right? He hires some and then he hires some at the first hour and some at like the 11th hour. So he's hiring people all day, <clears throat> but he's going to pay them the same. That's salvation. you got to see that. There are people who have been were saved whenever they were young, and they are better off for it. Let's just be honest. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be living with the choices I've made the way I am if I had been saved 30 years ago. But I wasn't. I was 33. I'd just been saved like 10 years of my life, right? So he says this in verse 12. Oh, saying, these men, these last men have worked only one hour, 
and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat all day? But he answered and said to one, one of them, Friend, I am doing you so wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? That's the other problem. You think you're God. You don't, you, you're, we're not equal with God. That which was created cannot tell the creator what to do. That's not how this works at all. Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? So the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And I read a bunch about that because he said that in more than one place. He tells the Pharisees that. He's talking about Abraham and, okay, the first shall be, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. There's a problem and it's the same problem that we see in the church in the end in Revelation. There's those who they have endured and they will endure. I'm not saying they won't. But the reason that they won't be the first is because they've lost what they had in the beginning. And this general, this this idea, being a saved person and having any kind of thought that another person doesn't deserve to go to heaven because they haven't been saved as long as you, there is zero love in that. A person who's truly born again, filled with the Spirit of God and understands the difference between heaven and hell fully would never, ever, ever want someone to go to hell. The very idea that I hear people, and sometimes it's Christian people say, well, they went to hell and they deserved it. Or I hope they burn in hell. What? You hope they burn in hell. You really mean that. But you're saved. No, 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 no. That's, that's wrong. I don't care what they did. I pray that if something terrible were to happen to my children, my grandchildren, that someone else, at the hands of another person, God would give me the time to pray through that. Because I can tell you right now, at first it would not be. Oh, it would not be. I would be a very angry person. And I would want to kill that person. There's not a doubt in my mind. Right? But that's not what the Word of God says we're supposed to do. That's what makes this so hard. Because, see, I made a judgment on that person that they're just evil and rotten because they did something that hurt me. God may have a work for them, and it may be that they're chosen to be saved one day. I don't know. But that's the part that we don't know. How many people have you seen that you know were evil and terrible people like me, and then somehow God changed them? We don't, we, and we don't really give up on our family, but we have a tendency to give up on someone else because we're not vested in who they are. It's not what the Word of God says. It says we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're supposed to be vested in your salvation. I mean, we really are. That's why He asked us to live our life before men and bear His image so that others might come to know there is a Jesus. But how do they know that? Because they've watched you live the life of Christ. Did you do it perfect? Most certainly not. But listen, judging people the first time you see them, that's a horrible thing to do. I mean, that's the worst thing to do, and especially to say it to them. You know, it's one thing its one thing to capture that in your mind and keep it. It's another to voice it. It's really ugly, and it can hurt people, and they may never come back. You don't want to be the reason for that. Now, they'll be without excuse because God will give them the opportunity, but I don't want to be the cause of anything like that myself. Leave the judgment to Christ. This is 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17. And Paul's he just lays it out exactly like it is. He starts out by saying, I love it. It's like as if his word isn't enough. As if his word isn't enough. He's always saying stuff like, I swear by the Spirit of God. Or, I, you know, I, in, the, in the Spirit I speak. But he says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. That's from Paul. It is a trustworthy statement. Listen, what I'm saying is 100% true, and it deserves full acceptance. You should accept what I'm about to say. 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among who I am foremost of all. You hear what he just said? He said, understand this. Jesus Christ came to save sinners and I was the worst sinner of all sinners there ever was. Mine says I am chief. Yes. He, he, I've never killed someone physically. Now I've murdered them. We went through that in the very beginning, right? With my anger and my hatred. Okay, but he literally killed. He was, he was persecuting the church, persecuting God himself. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience while as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. How long will he endure until you're saved? What is your lot in life? I don't know. And that's the awesome part. That's why when we see people, we talk about Alice Cooper. We talk about these people who they, as far as you can see, their life, they seem to be converted. I can't prove that they're not converted, right? So until I know that, I use discernment. I watch what they do and what they say. But how glorifying to God is that? That the chiefest of what we would consider the worst sinners in the world, that they would be saved right there. He found mercy so that in me at the foremost he might demonstrate his perfect patience. Y'all, that's patience. That God saved me shows a lot of patience. He should have killed me. That's just how I truly feel. On this side of salvation, I do not deserve what I've received. I was horrible as a human being. All the good that I thought I did that were good deeds was just to cover up the evils in my life. That's the truth. I was practicing evil and I was making it look good. That's what I was doing. That's what most people do. Because your persona, you don't want people to think you're evil because that's crazy. But you don't mind being evil, which is, that's psychotic. Those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, listen to how he ends it. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To start it off saying it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. I'm terrible. But he, he showed mercy so that he could show that anybody could be saved. And, and because of that, and because of that, I'm going to give him glory and honor forever. That's what we're supposed to do. Is that always easy? No, it's not. That's why we pray and that's why we have one another. And I thank God that we do. Because without everybody, even when I don't want people's help, it doesn't really matter. It's what God says. You get up and you come to church. You get up and you come fellowship. And you'll be surprised how different you'll feel when it's over with. Somewhere along the way, it's going to, that, that shell's going to break and you're going to be better because you're in the presence of God and His people. It's very meaningful. There's a reason that He says that in Hebrews 10 and 25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. There's a reason. And that's why. We need each other. Without each other, we really don't have anything. Jesus is not saying to never judge according to truth. So John 7 and 24 literally says that. But John... John is all about truth. I mean, we're worshiping in spirit and truth in four. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything is truth, right, throughout the whole thing. So in 7 and 24, he just lays it out. He says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Well, how do we know that's even right? Because we can go back to what, what they said when David was anointed. That's the same exact thing. Jesus is saying what his father, what his father says. You know what? I don't look at the outward appearance of a person. I look at what's inside of them. We should do that more. We really should do that more because I'm not saying that God can do what he wants with what he wants because he's created everything. But there are people in this world that unless I have a tattoo on my throat, they're not going to talk to me. 
There are preachers and people in this world that despite all the terrible things they did to their, themselves, all the things they did with drugs and everything else, God cleaned them up, saved them, and God is using them to save people that are just like them. Yep. That's awesome. I don't understand why people don't see how awesome that is, and all they go is, they're not really saved. Look at them. What? God can use what he wants when he wants to do his will. And he knows. It's his people. We are his people. Why not be happy? Why not be excited about that? The only way that that's not okay is if it's like you can't be a homosexual preacher. Why can I say that? Because the Word of God says that. The Word of God never says that I can't be converted and look different than you and, and still people be saved. That, you get what I'm saying. I mean, but that's how people are. We're so quick to judge. Thankfully, I say this in a way, that, that, is, that is dying with generations. A lot of that judgment is... But that's where it has to switch over, where we're going to go eventually. Now it has to be discernment. Right? We can't just, everything can't be okay. Now we're not judging to condemnation, but 1 Corinthians 11.31. Here's what God is really, here's what Jesus is really saying. And that's where we're going to go next week is in 11.31. This is it. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Our biggest problem is, is that we are, the sin that's in our life is not a big deal because it's our sin. But yours somehow is worse? Uh, th that's a hypocrite. And I can tell you right now, God hates hypocrites. There's some things that God hates. People don't like that. There's about 43 times in the Word of God that it talks about God hates. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, six things I hate, seven are an abomination. You go read those. He, he is not, that's not his jam at all. God hates that. He hates it. He says, six things I hate, seven are an abomination. But there's 43 total. And you'd have to go through the whole, whole you can look it up though. I mean, it's all online. Um, there's 43 different things that he literally hates. And he says it in his word that he hates. Some very terrible things. I mean, they're terrible things. They really are. You know, things like bestiality. I mean, we're talking about, we're on the fringes of what's evil. Like, I, that's pretty evil. <laughs> that's evil. It's bad enough you lay with someone of your own, your own kind, but with animal kind. Like, God hates that. That's not what he, that's not how he made this. So, 1131, he commanded to judge ourselves first. Whenever I look at another person and I feel like I need to cast judgment on that person, the first thing I really need to do is be introspective. Because... A, that's exactly right. What, what is that reason where you, because see, here's the thing is, I have a tendency, people who, people who were what I was or are what I was at one time, I'm more sympathetic to their plight because I've been there. I was addicted to pornography. Well, I understand that like 100%. I totally get that. But there's some things that I don't get. And I have to be more careful with those things. Because I, I've, I can feel you. I know the pull of that. I know that to this day. I'm, I mean, you're saved of things and you're delivered, but it never goes away. This is a constant fight. You have to purpose it in yourself that you're not going to do those things. And the sad thing is in the world that we're in, good Lord, it's everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So I totally understand that. So then he goes on. <clears throat> and then in Hebrews 5 and 14, this is where we eventually get. This is the thing. Because when we, this judgment, remember, we're talking about pronouncing judgment, like a judge. Like a judge pronounces a judgment on someone. All right? That, we're not judges. 
But in 5 and 14, it says, But solid food is for mature. For those who are mature, who become of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. We've got to be able to discern the difference in good, excuse me, good and evil in people. We really do. Because here's the thing is, every, we can't just allow everything. Because the things that they say now are okay, they're not. They're really not. They, yeah, they're an abomination to God. Now, how I go about doing that is not hateful. I mean, there's so many people that are so hateful. And the first thing they do is just condemn those people. God, God loves everyone. And we've talked about this quite a bit. That idea of hate the sin and love the sinner. God throws the sinner into hell. But we're, we, when we are here, we are to love those people. Now, love looks different. I love my son. And he acted like a fool. And when he acted like a fool, I punished him until I ended up taking the door off his room for three months. I did that because I loved him. If I'd have let him go on the path he was on, it would not have been good. <laughs> Just trust me, not good at all. So love looks different on this side of salvation. Discipline is good. It doesn't seem like it's good, but it is. Those who I chasten, I love. They are my children. That's First John. If I chasten you, I love you. If not, I, I don't. There's a lot of people we ask that. I love we sing that song. It's like, why do people do, why do they get away? They're not getting away with wicked things. God doesn't punish them because they're not his. They don't get in trouble from God. They don't get. He says, I chasten my children. They're not his children. They're not his children. So the word of God says that we, and that's us, Inside the camp, which is in the denomination, in the believe, in the believers within us that are filled, we do hold one another accountable. Those that are outside, we, we can't. We can't hold someone outside of the church accountable to live the, what we live. There's just no way. It's impossible. So, so we must mature to discern good and evil. We have to, right? If we don't, then we'll, that old song was, if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. We, we still have standards that we have to uphold, guys, and we have to do that. But we do it in love. And that's, therein is a difference. Jesus hates hypocrisy. I mean, he really does. In Revelation um, chapter 3, I remember reading this one. This is some of those verses that just stick, stick with you once you learn them, you understand them fully. Um, because goodness gracious, this is our Savior saying this. That kind of gets all over people. But he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know what you are, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now he's talking to people who are saved here. Do you understand that? He's not talking to the world. These are letters to the church. That's us. Whenever I judge another human being, this is me. I'm t I'm, it's like I think that I'm God all of a sudden. Somehow I have the ability to judge someone. Now, if it's a righteous and true judgment, which is not, it's not the judgment here, it's really more discernment. I have to discern between the difference between good and evil. Yeah, what you're talking about, like right, what we call righteous judgment, is just upholding a judgment that God's already given. Yes. It's still not my judgment. 
That's like that's why we can look at the homosexual, right? And and it not be personal. Yeah. You know, I'm not personally saying you are doing wrong, but you're doing wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not it's not anything personal. It's this is God's standard. You went against God's standard. Yeah. But you can apply that. We like like you said, you have those hot buttons. Mm-hmm. That's homosexuality. It's yep. it's all sexual sin. Yeah. All of it's the same. Yeah. If I look at a woman and lust in my heart, it's the same thing. That's what God says, right? But it's just upholding a judgment of God. That's yeah. what we get to do. Yeah. Whereas, like what you said, with Jesus, he could look and he knew the heart of a man. We don't have that. No, we don't we have, have that ability. Privilege. No. But I can look at a person, look at their life, <laughs> make a judgment. That is, go from the word. Mm-hmm. You're not living like this. Mark them. Yeah. Right? And know who they are, but also pray for yeah, them. Yeah, definitely pray for them. The word says, I have ever right, if you're going against God's righteous judgment, to say you're going against God's righteous judgment. But also, what did Paul say? I preach to them, I witness to them, so that some might be so saved. So that some might be saved. Right? I have no idea. I treat you as such. Yeah. You, you need Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would I shun you? You need You Jesus. need it. Yeah. Right. But that's, that's, that's how I take it. Like, I don't have the right to judge you because I'm not God. Yeah. But we do have the right as citizens of heaven, as children of God, to go, God has judged you. Yeah. This is this is what's going on. Yeah. All right. We're just upholding a judgment. Like Supreme Court makes laws mm-hmm. and, and states uphold those laws or yeah. the federal government upholds those laws. That's that's all we get to do. There's a Supreme Court. God has made judgments and we're just Hey, this is the law. This has been passed. Yeah. You, know, you, you can't do what you want to do. Yeah, that's why it should be, though. It should be this yeah. way, but it generally isn't. This this is personal yeah. to you and I. Yeah. But when I preach it or I teach it, it's personal to you. Mm-hmm. I mean nobody any harm. I mean, I literally don't. Right. If I preach something, because we've talked about this, you have to pray. If I know something about you that's sin. I'm never, ever going to purposefully do that to harm you. Does that make sense? I don't have the right to do that. God has stopped me several times teaching and not allowed me to say what was about to come out of my mouth, and I couldn't understand why. And moments later, someone said something. If I had said that, I would have so offended them, they probably would have left. But they had to work that out between them and God. It wasn't Brother Matt's place. Does that, you know? And then 18 is the last one. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So that you may become rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself. Uh, here's the thing, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. So is this a metaphor? Yeah, they're they're yeah they're metaphor. Yeah, and eye salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. You need to see where you are and who you are. You think you have everything, and that's why we can say this church is this dispensation or generation or however you want to put it, because nobody needs God because they're rich and they have everything they need. You have everything. And that's a lot of people, that's why the the greed is what's so bad. It's not money. Money's money. But the greed, the desire for money. That's why it's so terrible. And it really is. And the last one in that one is Romans 2, 1 through 3. Do you suppose, this was a scary one. Do you think that you're going to, if you're sinning a sin, you should not be telling anybody else that they shouldn't be doing that. That's the long and the short of this right here. But do you know how many people, and that's what Jesus, that's why he called them hypocrites. He said, y'all are hypocrites. You are doing this, but you are telling other people not to do it. So he says, therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, 
For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you think that just because you proclaim the truth and you, what you're doing is, I mean, honestly, whenever we teach, preach, whatever it is, my goal, my hope is that it will not return void because that's what the word says, but that you will be changed. Right. But because I did that and you were changed, that's not, that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm right with God. I'm just doing what God called me to do. It's not like I get extra anything out of it, but you know how many people are called of God, but they're not called of God. And they're preaching today and they're teaching things. And one day that they're not being many masters because they will receive the greater condemnation. Someday they're going to pay for all that. I do not want to be that person because that's going to be horrible. Because it, it literally, that's one of the few places where you see they will receive the greater condemnation. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't found that. But I don't want to find out. Like, you know, I don't want to know on this side and I don't want to find out on the other side. So then the last one there, this is where he kind of gets to the meat of it. He says, don't judge. That was pretty simple. You know, he says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Okay, Lord. And then we talked about it with all those verses so we could see. You, what he's really trying to say is anytime you think about judging another person, stop and look at yourself first. And we'll see that more next week. But in 7 and 2, the definition changes to 29.17. So it's a cause and an effect. A judge, may, a judge judges, and then there's a verdict. And after that verdict, there's a sentence, right? So the first thing that we're looking at is a judgment is a verdict, right? The second thing that we're seeing is sentencing. So those are two totally different things in the world, but not in the kingdom of God, because once you've been judged, you've been sentenced, because there's only one sentence, and that sentence is hell. So in verse 2, let's look at, let's look at it first. This is a verdict of condemnation. The measure that he talks about is the standard of severity of condemnation. How severe will it be? And then finally, to met, which in this one it doesn't use that, but that's that's the King James. The measure, it is to give out or assign by measure. So the 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 way that you assign the way that you assign the severity of condemnation to another person, you will receive the same. That's why I don't condemn people, because I don't need that. Like when you talk about I don't need that, I don't need that in my life. I don't need God judging me like that. And that's the hard part about people that are in ministry or in church at all. Let me tell you something. If, you're, if your life is scrutinized and you're under a microscope for everything you do, do you want to live that way? Nobody does. Nobody wants to do that. But people have a tendency to do that to others, especially whenever they're not right with God. You're looking for a reason. You're looking at that person. You're trying to find a reason because you know you're not right, and it makes you feel better. If you can find them at fault, then you go, oh, wait a minute. You go, oh, and that's what, that's what we're trying to avoid. So in Matthew 7 and 2, we'll read. He says, for in the way you judge, that is in the way you, you assign a verdict of condemnation, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. You know how severe some, when someone says this, I hope they go to hell. Let me tell you something. You want you want to be scrutinized like that? That's why we don't say things like that. We shouldn't say things like that anyway. But that's why we we need to be careful because the word of God says that we will be judged by every word you can, you that proceeds out of our mouth. You can apply that to just scary. Anything. I mean, we've all <clears throat> 
had this thought or or have known people to, like you say, say it out loud. Somebody gets blessed by God, and your thought is they don't deserve that, right? Well, and then you're praying for your blessing. You don't know why it's not coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're set against. It's just you've sentenced that person to say they don't deserve that. So what God just yeah. what Jesus just said is yeah. okay, Jack. Now now I'm gonna judge you that way. Too. Yeah, you don't deserve it. Our heart has got a lot to do. Yeah, it's okay. the way our okay. where where we are has got everything. In First John three eighteen through twenty, it says we must love indeed and truth, discerning each situation. So let's just read it in light of that. Three eighteen through twenty. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Now, are we saved by our deeds, by our works? No, but you can't have one without the other. You can't say that you're a doctor and not do what doctors do. I mean, that's to me, that is like common sense. You can't say you're a Christian and not be Christ-like. Now, that's what, that's what probably 90% of the people who call themselves Christians do. Let's be honest. But they're not really Christians. They're just followers of a form of godliness that has no power. That's what that's what the word says. You you have a form of godliness without no power, with no power, and you're going to be ever learning and never come to the knowledge of the truth because you're not really seeking truth. The word says, if I'm truly seeking for the truth, what am I going to get? I'm going to get the truth. I'm going to find it. But if I'm seeking for foolishness, Romans chapter one, guess what I'm going to get? I'm going to get worse and worse. That's why men are going to wax worse and worse. He says, we will know this. We will, we will know by this that we are a part of the truth and will assure our heart before him. Okay, so the fact that we love not with just our word or tongue, but in deed or truth, lets us know that we are part of the truth, which is Christ Jesus. Uh, John chapter 15, remain in me and I'll remain in you, right? And we will assure our hearts before him. You, oh my goodness, that's a pretty big deal. So you mean there's a, there's a cause and effect? Most certainly. Everything has a cause and effect in this word. But I like number I like 19 because the Lord even knows us that our heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it, right? But he wants us to have comfort. How much does God love you? Let's read. He says, we will know this by, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He says, listen, because how many times do you not feel saved sometimes? Right? That's that. That's your verse. Mark that. That's your verse. Where did you jump to? I got lost. Are we still on I'm sorry. It's First John 3, 18 through 20. It's the conclusion. Yeah. So here's the thing is, our hearts condemn us. We condemn ourselves. He says repent. He says repent. Repent and re just repent and come back to me and I'll forgive you. But sometimes we just stay in that because we're like, why would he forgive me? Because he said he would. Like, because he said he would. So then in 1 Corinthians 4, 4 through 5. Okay, hang on, let me catch up. I'm sorry. It's the Lord's, it's the Lord's business. And I think that's what, uh, we're very arrogant as Americans, especially because we, we try to govern the world, don't we? We try to govern everything and change everything, but th the kingdom of heaven belongs to God. And he's allowed us to be in his kingdom. You understand that? Like he allowed us in it. Like we didn't, we didn't force our way into this. It was either he allowed us in or we don't get in. That's the awesome part. So 1 Corinthians 4, 4 through 5, he says this, For I am conscious of nothing against myself. This is Paul. I don't think, there's any, I don't think I've done anything wrong, yet I'm not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Just because you don't find fault with yourself doesn't mean that you're okay. That's what 1 John just said. 
Whenever you find fault with yourself and you think you're wrong, go to the Word. Go to God. Five, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come from God. Right? Don't judge people. Let God do that. Just pray for them. Lift them up. Try to encourage them. Try to encourage those who have left the church. Encourage them to come back. Right? That's what we're supposed to do, not be like, I, never, I knew they never were a part of us. I'm glad they're gone. No. No. That's like, hopefully, if they don't want to go here for whatever reason, plug in somewhere else. Be in the kingdom of God. Just be in the kingdom. Just be a part of it. And then finally, Jesus asks a condemning question and gives a command. And I know this seems like this probably doesn't fit in, but goodness gracious, we all find ourselves here. John chapter 8, 7 through 11. The conclusion of the whole matter, what Jesus is trying to say. When we ourselves try to judge another human being. John 8 and 7. But when they persisted, and they're fixing to stone a woman who was caught in adultery. She literally was caught in adultery. Now, um, now the man, was the man caught in adultery too? Oh, wait a minute. So he was. Okay. All right. So, you know, Jesus knows all this too. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman, where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said this. Now remember, he says this part too, specifically to her. I do not condemn you either. Go from me now on and sin no more. He didn't just tell her everything's okay. He said, don't sin anymore. Like, stop it. Just stop it. Stop doing what you're doing. Quit being an adulteress. Quit being a prostitute. Stop doing what you're doing. He drove all of them away. They had the right, by, by the law, they could have killed her. They had every right. But see, here's the thing that they don't understand. Deuteronomy, you go back in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, and you look into it, the people who found her in that sin were the ones that were supposed to start the stoning. Not, not, not someone else. It was only the witnesses. The witnesses began the stoning, and then others that joined in. They were trying to trap the Lord. Well, you decide... I, I, I didn't see it. Now, Jesus Christ knew exactly what happened, right? But did you notice that they didn't stone the man? And that's where hypocrisy comes in. If a man sleeps with a bunch of women, he's a stud. If a woman sleeps with a bunch of people, she's a whore. That doesn't make any sense. Does that make sense to you? Right? So that's why I say when we judge things and when we do things, we do it according to the Word of God and in truth. It's got to be the right judgment. Not the judgment of the world, but the judgment of the Word. And when we do that, everything's a whole, whole lot better. Brother Scott, would you dismiss us?